scripture for the morning. So if you would stand with me for the scripture reading. Um, I'll be reading out of Romans 7, 1 through 6. So it says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Standing as we pray. Lord, we thank you that you have released us from the law for those of us who now find our life in you. I pray that as we study your word today, Lord, that you would bring, you would bring new vision and new passion for our lives in, in, in this new thing called freedom that we're going to discuss here today. So, Lord, let your name be exalted and let your word resonate here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, Joseph going out of town and he asked me if I would share it. I said, sure, Joe. And then he told me what I'm going to share it. And I read it. And I realized that it could be one of the more confusing passages of Scripture in the Bible. So I said, awesome, Joe. Appreciate that one. Um, it's a little more confusing as we get into the later portion of it, which is where we're going to kind of spend most of our time. But I want to give just a little bit of a recap of what we just read here. And I see three sections of of ideas that are covered here in this chapter of Romans. And so, first Romans 7, 1 through 6, it gives us the idea and it teaches us that that just like in marriage, you're married to that one until somebody dies. And so us, we were married to the law. But then Christ came, he died, and now we're free from the law. Dan Peek did a great job uh, presenting that with offering that, that we're, we're no longer bound to this thing called the law. We now have the freedom to be joined to another. And those of us that gather here, most of us gather here, believe that that other person is Jesus. And that we're now married to Christ, so we now have this new freedom in it. Paul then goes on to say, in Romans 7 through 13, he starts to question the law. He says, so was the law bad? If, if, if we become divorced to it because Christ died for it, was the law bad? Um, the law is this, is this thing that, that opened us up to sin and, and all these evil desires that are inside of us that we never knew were there before the law came. And so Paul asks a, a, a good question. He says, was the law sin? And he goes on to say that, that no, it wasn't sin at all. It was, it was actually good and it was right and it was holy because it was from the Lord. An analogy that I, I thought of is um, I, have a, I have a baby. He's my first kid. He's four months old. And since his arrival, 
there has been way more sin in my life that has come to the surface. <laughs> I, 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 I now know in greater depths the, the, the selfishness that's inside of me, the anger that's inside of me. Um, and in the same way, the law came and it revealed these things that are inside of me. So should I say that my son is bad? By no means. Absolutely not. But instead, my son is a conduit of the Lord that leads me to greater depths of holiness. And so it is with the law. That the law is this conduit of the Lord that leads us into greater depths of holiness. So, so we can say that the law is good because it's from the Lord and it leads us to greater depths of holiness. Romans 7, 14 through 25 is where I want to spend most of my time today. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because it kind of just repeats itself over and over again. And Paul goes, there's this thing inside of me that's bad, but I want to do good. What the heck is wrong with me? And it's this back and forth that he goes through. Has anybody ever here had that same struggle? I know I'm good, but sometimes I do bad things. So Paul's talking to us. But I also ask, I want to ask you guys this question. How many of you in here would call yourself a saint? Okay, let me ask it a little bit differently. How many in here would call yourself a Christian? What if I told you it's the same thing? Yeah, there you go. Because from what I read in the scriptures, it's no longer that I live, but it's Christ that lives in me. Amen. And so while there may be this thing that's that's warring, and we feel this struggle to go back and forth, there's some, in, in my studies on this, I found some translations of the Bible that, that talked about this chunk of scripture as like the war of two natures. But I would like to challenge you that there's no war of two natures. If you're in Christ, you have but one nature. There's not a sin nature inside of you and a Christ nature inside of you. Because that sin nature died. Romans teaches us that in Romans 6, 7, it says, For he who has died is freed from sin. Joe talked about this last week. In Romans 6, 22, it also says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit of God leads you to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. A lot of times we hear the, the saying that, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And while that's true, I think there's also the other side of the coin that's, I'm also a saint, sometimes I sin. And there's this tension in the Bible in lots of areas um, that I like to refer to, the, the kingdom tensions, and this is one of them. At the same time, I am a sinner saved by grace. But I think too often in the church, that's the message that we hear, and we don't hear the other side of the coin that says, I'm also a saint who sometimes sin. I've also been set free from the law. Corinthians says that, um, that I've been uh, given this new nature, that the old, old man has passed away, that he's dead. Romans, in some translations, up to 56 times uses the word dead to describe us. Paul says, you're dead, you're dead, yeah. you're dead. <laughs> so sometimes we go around raising this old dead man to life because of this scripture that Paul talks about, that I do the things that I don't want to do. Sometimes I think we use that as an excuse yeah. to not mature in the Lord. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. <laughs> so then why do I sin? If I'm dead to sin, why do I sin? Because there's still an enemy. We still live in a war. 
I think it's in James. Scripture describes enemy and says it's like a lion. I don't get confused because the Lord is the lion. The enemy is like a lion. He takes the things that are good and he transfigures them and shifts them around to appear as something else. But the Lord is, or the, the enemy is like a lion, prowling around, desiring to devour him. That's a pretty intense image that James that James leaves us with, and and so that's why sometimes we sin because there's a real enemy and there's a real war that we live in, and sometimes that enemy comes and he says, "Hey, remember that thing that you used to do?" Whatever it is, fill in the blank in your own mind right now. Let's go do that again. Remember how fun it was to speak this way, to think this way, to partake in this action? Let's go do that again. It's so easy to get there. Come on, it'll just be for a minute. You'll get right back with God. It'll be great later. And then a lot of times, we take the easy way out and we say, okay, yeah, let's go do that. And then all the guilt and condemnation and all this thing comes in. But, but luckily for us, Christ is the great trailblazer. Amen. And he causes us to walk on new paths. Yeah. Yeah. Because in our brain, there's these things that are wired that lead us to different conclusions because of time walked down that path. And the enemy knows these things, and he tries to get us walked back down there. But Christ is the trailblazer that causes us, or that, that invites us to go a new way, a different direction. I'm not too old of a man, but when I was a younger man, <laughs> I used to go hiking a lot, uh, sometimes with a few of my friends that are here, and it wouldn't take but five minutes before we got off the path that everybody else would walk on. And you know what happens? we got off that path? We would have a lot of fun. Sometimes it would result in us getting to the top of a mountain, finding dead trees, and throwing them off the side of the mountain. You don't get to do those types of things if you walk down the same path that everybody else is walking on. And so this new path that Christ calls us to, to walk down is full of really exciting things. For those of you that have been walking with the Lord for a while, you've experienced this. Maybe it's, maybe it's tension between you and a loved one. And you're about at that point where you're about to flip and you're about to go down that same place and say the thing that you know you're going to regret, but you hear the voice of the Lord saying, no, say this instead. Give grace right here. Just give her a hug. Or just keep your mouth shut. Whatever it is. And then you choose to follow the Lord, and something really beautiful happens on the other side of that. And you don't get the same result that you used to always get when you went down the same path that you're so used to going down. And so, yes, sometimes we sin. Because sometimes we go down this old path. But we have this option to walk Jesus says a couple times in Scripture, in a couple different ways, but this same idea, go and leave your life of sin. That's a commandment that he gives to us. He says, leave your life of sin. Now, for me, sometimes I hear that, and I'm like, okay, so, so i got to be perfect. You're telling me I have to be perfect. Because then there's this other Scripture that says, be holy as I am holy. And I feel this pressure sometimes to live up to this standard of the perfect Christian that I read about in Scripture. God knew we would face those challenges. And in 1 John 2, 1, he says, My dear children, I'm writing you this so that you won't sin. Again, reiterating that his goal for us is to not sin because we're new creations. We don't have a sin nature anymore. It's been put to death. Yet, if, and the key word is if, it's not when, it's if you sin. We have an advocate in Jesus Christ 
who has God's full approval, and he speaks on our behalf when he comes into the presence of his Father. And so if that day happens to come where we sin again, for those of us that are in Christ, we have this advocate that continually makes intercession for us, that continually goes before the Father and says, I know we did that. Don't look at that. Look at me. Don't look at what he just did. Look at me. My image is in him. That's not him anymore. Don't look at that. Don't look at that. Don't look at that. And we continually have this, this Savior that steps in on our behalf. Now, I'm sure most of you know this. Paul didn't put chapter breaks in the book of Romans, right? That was decided much later on. And this is one of the great, I think, mistakes of when we break up chapter 7 and 8. Because Paul goes through this thing of talking about, I do the things I don't want to do. Why do I do these things I don't want to do? And he, he kind of leaves it on this, this cliffhanger. But then we get into Romans 8, verse 1. And it says, Now, there is, no, there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Amen. So not only do we have an advocate for us in Jesus Christ that pleads on our behalf, we also have a Father that says, Even if I do see it, I'm not going to condemn. Because the blood of Jesus covers us. Yeah. We sang about it today. The blood of Jesus covers us. And so as we walk down these new trails, as we, we follow Christ as he, he, he goes before us, we'll have these moments where we're tempted, crap, I just sinned again. And in an instant, there's going to be that enemy, and he's there. He's ready to overwhelm you with all of the condemnation. But we have to have this scripture embedded in our hearts, written on the tablets of our hearts, like Proverbs 3 says, that says, no, 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 there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ. I don't care what your spouse thinks of you in this moment. I don't care what your kid thinks of you in this moment. I don't care what such and such thinks of you in this moment. Christ looks at you and says, there's no condemnation for you. See, because God does not define you by the 10% of your heart that you hold back from him but rather by the 90% of your heart that longs for him continually. Your weakness is covered by the torrent of his love. And whether those, whether those percentages are opposite, the 90% of your heart that you hold back from him and the 10% that you give, it doesn't matter. His love covers a multitude of sins. His blood, whether it's 1%, is if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Whether you see it or not, you're a new creation. Whether you feel it or not, you're a saint because the image of Christ is on you. Romans 8.29, I'm stealing a little bit from next, next week, so we'll talk about the same thing. But it says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of the image of his son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these who he called, he also justified. And these who he justified, he also glorified. I want to pull a couple ideas out of that because this is, this is the direction of our life in Christ. It says, he predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of the image of his son. So in layman's terms, that means your destiny, if you've said yes to Jesus, is to become like Christ. Nobody did, right? But that's where this whole thing is headed. This whole thing is, is, is headed towards you becoming like Christ. And a, 
And along the way, he's going to justify you. He's going to, as he justifies you, he's going to glorify you. That's something we might have a hard time thinking about. Yeah. No, don't glorify me. I'm just a humble little man doing my little thing. But the scripture is clear. Yeah. He says those he called, we work our way through. He says he, he glorifies them. Not in the way that we may think of glorification when we think of celebrities and athletes. It's not like that. But our life in Christ should be a continual movement upwards towards the likeness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled faces, like my beautiful wife mentioned during worship, the veil has been torn, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. And so there's this, there's this thing that what we behold, and behold is just a fancy word for stare at, meditate on think about. What we fix our attention on, we reproduce in our own lives. Yeah. And so if we'll fix our eyes on Jesus, if we'll fix our eyes on the Word of God, if we'll behold Him like David did in Psalm 27 where he said, one desire I have is to behold the Lord in His temple, to meditate on Him day and night, then we'll move from glory to glory. We'll be able to be a year down in our walk with the Lord and look back and say, I'm nothing like I used to be. And then we'll continually be able to say that at year five and 10 and 40 and 60. And by the end of this, we're gonna look a lot like Jesus and not very much like ourselves. Amen. So we might say, that's a pretty high and lofty goal and direction of our lives to be like Jesus. That's a lot of weight to carry. That's a lot to figure out because I know the sin that's still tempting me. I know the decisions I still make. Or we might be saying, but you don't know how stressful my life is. I've got a full-time job with a second part-time job and a newborn and whatever it is, fill in the blank. We, 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 we come and we make excuses for our lack of holiness. So then how do we, how do we move from glory to glory? Well, it's simple. Our ability to say no to sin is directly connected to the depths of love that we have for Jesus. See, all of the Bible is written for the purpose of drawing us into a marriage with the Son of God. And sin has to exist, and it has to be allowed here in this place so that love can have its effects on us. Because love is only love in the midst of a choice. When the thing that we are saying yes to, the love of God, is more alluring, greater than the thing we are trying to say no to, that sin in our lives, then we'll begin to move from just trying to war against the enemy and, and war against the temptation to actually reigning over it and living this life of freedom that Christ has called us to. And so we grow, we, we grow from trying not to sin because it's bad to not sinning because we love another way more than we love that sin. Early on in my relationship with my wife, before I knew whether I wanted to marry her or not, or anything like that, I had the opportunity to look at other women and be like, oh, she's pretty cute too. Oh, I wonder about this. I wonder about that. Now that could lead its way to, to lust in my life. And, and early on, I would, I would not do that 
because I, I know that it's wrong. I know that it's, it's wrong to, to look at another person that way. But I was just operating because the law told me that was wrong to do. Now as I've grown and I've, I've chosen to love my wife and the depth of my love for my wife has, has, has gone deep, now I don't do any of that stuff because my yes is way much more stronger than my no. I don't have to resist those things because my yes to my wife is so much more attractive than just trying to push back sin. And it's the same with the Lord. The, the more that we love Jesus, the more that we understand that he is a good bridegroom, the easier it will be to believe that we are in the creation. Because something will come and it'll be, it'll be like a little bug, it'll just flick it off. The enemy will come, continue to be like, hey, remember when you used to do this? But not a chance. It won't, it, 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 that will turn into our habitual reaction is to, to say no to sin and yes to Jesus because we love him way more than we enjoy the sin that we used to partake in. And we can put all these things in our life and, and, and we can try to resist the devil and we can try to um, put consequences in our life if, if we mess up or put these roadblocks in our life to keep us on the path of the straight and narrow and all those things are good and healthy but ultimately it's our love for Jesus that will lead us out of it. So we want to stop doing the things that we sometimes do like Paul says and the answer is we grow in love with Jesus. But we remember that it's a choice. We don't fall in love with Jesus in the same way we don't fall in love with another person. Falling gives the impression that it was, I tripped and it was an accident. <laughs> and if you did happen to fall in love with Jesus that way, well, you better figure out that from this point forward, it's going to take a choice to maintain that love. Yeah. And that's the same is true with any earthly relationship as well. Love is a choice. Love doesn't always come with all the butterflies and whistles. But it's this daily going back to that person. And how do we grow in love with Jesus? The same way we grow in love with anybody else. Yeah. Individual, unique, time spent together doing things that both of you enjoy. Jesus is a person. How many know he wants to do things that you like to? <laughs> what kind of friend would he be if he only did the things that he wanted to do? Yeah. My buddy Uzi was here playing worship. We wouldn't be good friends if we always did what Uzi wanted. <laughs> now he's got a strong personality, so over the last 10 years, probably been 75% of what he's wanted, but there's been 25% that he's done what I wanted to. <laughs> but the Lord is the same way. And so sitting down studying the Bible ain't your thing. It doesn't mean you can just throw it out. There's still some value to it. But maybe he's like, hey, go for a drive in the mountains and I'll meet you there. Yeah. And so time spent with the Lord is how you're going to dip, deepen your love for him. And as your passion for him increases, you'll realize that this internal war that we thought was there is actually already over. <coughs> that he's already defeated sin in your life. That the blood of Christ already covers you. And then we'll realize that the war's not in here, it's out here. Yeah. We take this freedom and this power that we have inside and we bring it to the next person. And we bring it to the principalities that exist over the places that we work 
or the communities that we live in. And we see entire nations set free. The Great Commission tells us that we're to go out and not disciple people inside of nations. It says we're supposed to disciple nations, like whole nations, like the entire country, like all millions and millions of people are supposed to come to turn to the Lord. But we can't do that if we are still battling these little things inside of us because we think that there's this big devil that prowls around and kills. He's a little devil, and we have all the authority because it says that if we've died to sin, then it no longer has mastery over us.